0: Hello and welcome to Mint Dialogue, episode number two hundred and ninety-four. Today is Sunday the 16th of February 2018, and this interview is with Latia Curry, whom I first heard and met, speaking at South by Southwest. After spending 20 years in communications, marketing, government, and the world of international NGOs, Latia is currently principal at Rally, channeling her wide breadth of experience into laser-focused messaging, strategy, and campaigns. In this conversation, We discuss the objectives and challenges of inserting politics into your brand communications and general gestalt. We look at the keys to success, the pitfalls to avoid, the critical needs for integrity and persistence, issues of governance, and how best to persuade your stakeholders. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue Podcast where we discuss branding and all things digital. I am Minterdial, your host, and you'll find the show notes on my eponymous site, MinterDial.com. Enjoy the show. Latia Curry, it's great to finally have you on this podcast. I saw you at South by Southwest, and um, the topic, the way you talk about it, it's really passionate. So really thrilled to have you on this show. And in your own words, who are you? Yeah.
1: Well, as you said, I'm Latia Curry. I'm thrilled to be here with you. Um, I'm a principal at a firm called Rally, based in Los Angeles, California. And we're an issue-driven communications firm. So we work with foundations, nonprofits, and some corporations on navigating their communications through sticky political issues. So it's not electoral communications, per se, but working on one of the no communications campaigns but with a kind of political flair to it as it relates to issues in particular. At some
0: level, I mean, I, I don't even know if you need to use the word sticky but because just yeah. by nature <laughs> that somehow, it is that. And you know, like, mm-hmm. in, in the end of the day, when one talks about, you your, tell your kids, and your kid's only one year old, but, you know, you tell your kids, well, you know, whatever you do, don't bring up sex, religion, or politics, and 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 yet you've chosen to just dive full on into politics. Why is it, or how is it that politics gets a pass as far as these three topics is concerned?
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't know that politics is getting a pass, and I don't know honestly that I would avoid any of those topics. It just depends on the situation. I think. The current climate right now, um, especially when I think about the work that I do, is really driven at millennials who kind of demand a transparency about real issues that affect their lives and appreciate when organizations or individuals are really authentic in their stance and opinions about those issues. In addition, in a communications standpoint, um, it's very cluttered out here. And so in order to get attention to your issue, whatever it is, you gotta be real and you gotta strike a chord. And for us at Rally, one of the things we always talk about in terms of coming up with strategies for our clients, we develop for them what we call a provocative statement. And it's not shared publicly, but it's all about the heart of what you're communicating emanating from something that's inherently provocative, because that strikes an emotional chord, not the head, but the heart of the consumers that you're trying to reach.
0: Well, I, I love that. I love the idea of getting a provocative chord. So when you talk about the millennials, for example, is it is it almost becoming table stakes that you need to Present your political position at some level being authentic. If if you can't speak about certain elements of your thoughts, are you there for being inauthentic?
1: Yeah, I I don't know if I would go as far as to say it's inauthentic, but I do think for millennials it's table stakes. I think. Um, many recent studies by Edelman and other sort of brand trust research firms have shown that millennials in particular are looking for this as a quality in the companies that they support with their dollars. And in fact, if those companies are silent, they will penalize them So on the issues that they care about. So I think it's really important um, to think about what your values are as a company and align with those so that that authenticity is real it's not some crafted kind of Mm. um, presentation to attract millennials but because they'll know and they'll call it out and they do call it out all the time if you look at social media it's happening every day
0: so they're going to call you out if you have bad politics but it's interesting of course this notion that not voting is voting, or yeah. not, not stating who you what you stand for is a position. And and do you feel that millennials are calling people brands out on that? And I mean, and how do you weigh that? Because let's say if you, if you are presenting, you know, an unethical position, and it's and you're presenting, you're publicizing it. That's one thing, mm-hmm. but not to to say that is bad ethics doesn't seem to weigh as heavily as someone who is you know outrageously bad so how, yeah you know how how does one evaluate whether one should or should not get in
1: sure so if if i think about all of the examples of organizations who did not such a good job on this over the last year it's usually because they were not proactive mm-hmm. and they sort of either were waiting in hiding Or they got caught off guard, maybe in an interview, they were asked a question about the news of the day. And as an organization, they didn't have a prepared stance on it. Or if you go all the way to the extreme, and you look at an organization like the NFL, they had lots of conversations about players kneeling and what that meant. And for, I believe it was 18 months, they didn't even make a statement really on it in terms of their position. And that, as we can all see, did not help them at all. It actually made the problem worse. And by the way, it made it worse for both sides of the aisle. So when you think about the people who supported the players and the people who didn't, they were both not happy. And so what did that do for them as a brand? Even that polarization hurt them because they didn't take a stand.
0: I want to look at that notion. I almost want to call it lethargy in the way a senior team (sighs) looks at that. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. And what is it that causes that cause that 18 month gap? You know, things that I'm thinking about with my experience is well, I don't know what I stand for. Mm-hmm. Or I I'm I'm out of touch. I'm thinking with what actually is happening. Or I'm shit scared. Yeah. Uh, how do you?
1: Do, how would you? What kind of lessons can we learn? So I think for the NFL in particular, two things come to mind. Um, one is really knowing your audience. Like who do you serve? So even if you're a for-profit you are in service to your customers and to your consumers. And I, I think they got confused about who their audience was. So you have a bunch of fans. And depending on what city you're in, those fans might feel differently about that same issue. Mm-hmm. But then you have the players as well as the audience, mm-hmm. you have the owners as well as an audience. And so I think there was probably a lot of conflict internally about how to service their many audiences and do a good job at that. Mm -hmm. I also think that um, in terms of waiting 18 months, I think part of it is just fear of doing the wrong thing and alienating. And it's that old sort of mentality that like, We don't talk about politics. We keep our head down. We do what we're supposed to do. That's not what our business is about. And I just think that, you know, in the current climate, you have to be in the flow of what's happening in current events and with your consumers. And if they are talking about these issues and you are not, you're actually creating distance between them and your brand. And I think that's a lot of why people don't act right away. So.
0: What I, what occurs to me in these things is that sort of decision-making that happens in big business. And there's, you know, kowtowing and thinking and, and then re-meeting. And then, then there's the narrative that they want to have and all this stuff. And at some level, there are two things that go through my mind. One is the legacy story, which is, uh, or maybe the bureaucratic story, where we have so many people and... And, and, and layers, and and we're trying to please everybody. And then the other one is with regard to the lack of um, a defining individual. And not that I think you have to always have a defining individual, but at some level, if you're an entrepreneur, you're leading the company, you lead with your gut. You lead with your guts. You put your money, your your line, your reputation, and your house on the line. And and then when you feel it, <coughs> it comes from within. These other guys, or ga- gals, surely as well, somewhere, mm-hmm. are, are trying to do the right thing. They're thinking it through, but they don't have any attachment to their gut. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of feel that that's where, that's one of the breakdowns that stops you being able to go with that, knowing that you're going to piss off one constituency, but that's life.
1: Yeah. I would totally agree. I mean, again, it's head and heart. And I think when you look at an organization that people always refer to when talking about this, like Patagonia, you Mm -hmm. see so much heart and how it pays off in their business. Mm -hmm. So I think, again, it's just challenging this notion that, you know, stick to the books and don't touch on these emotional issues. With those emotional issues, actually, allow for you to connect with people on a level that's not intellectual and that makes them have an affinity to you and your brand that can last in terms of loyalty for a long time. And so when you talk about those decision makers, I think whenever you see a strong leader or CEO who gets the gut piece Mm -hmm. as well as the head piece, they're usually doing fine no matter what side they're doing. I mean, you could pick Chick-fil-A as well. Who mm. I tend to give a lot of examples on the left, but if you look at the right as well, Chick-fil-A is a perfect example of that. They have principles, they have values, and they stick by them. And they're not suffering for that financially. They yeah. know who their audience is.
0: And they've got a big enough audience. To, and they've got a big enough audience. Because you need to yeah. warrant it. On the other hand, when you have a really big audience where, where you know quote-unquote, you're servicing 100%, which you know, let's say the NFL, the National Football League, is mm-hmm. is moving towards, mm-hmm. they they they're in the mass market area. And mm-hmm. as soon as you're at mass and, and you want to count out of the mass, you end up being trying to be everything to everybody and then losing out your identity.
1: Yeah, I mean I think you could say the same thing about the NBA, but they're handling it. A lot differently because so they're very clear on who their audience is their players come first their fans love those players and they orient everything around that and I think the difference between the NBA in terms of the players the coaches the owners that speak out on issues that do so unabashedly again isn't hurting them financially and in fact it's drawing people to the NBA who may not have been drawn to it because mm. now it's like they put up like a light in the fog and now everybody can like attract to that light. If you're sitting low under the water being quiet, you're not only are you not pissing anyone off, you're not attracting anyone either. <laughs> That's not good for business.
0: Right. So at one level, the conversation could scare people because we're talking about being you know, provocative and, 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 and getting out in a limb on, you know, Quote unquote" tendentious topics. On the other hand, it strikes me that pretty much every business is reliant on politics at some level. And, you know, let's say the nasty word lobbies, but regulations that are dependent on Washington and America, but in general, you know, politics. And even the judicial system has a, a role and an impact on on the way you run your business. So isn't it isn't it almost not even just a question of table stakes from a consumer standpoint? It is that by nature, business is involved with politics.
1: Yeah, I think that's 100% true. The distinction I would make, um, at least in the United States, is how public those activities are versus some of the other examples we've been talking about. So businesses have been lobbying for years. They've been sort of in bed with politicians for years. They've managed to get bills passed in their favor forever. But um, I don't think that those things are as well understood and as publicized as when Chick-fil-A decides it's going to close on a Sunday because it's of religion, I think those things are much more tangible for people to grasp and react to one way or another. And those other pieces are just not, I mean, the average person just doesn't know as much about those backroom dealings to say yay or nay. And I think there's a big effort now to kind of uncover a lot of that and be more transparent about that, especially given our current president. Um, but I still think on some level, we're a very consumer society. So everything is, I think, consumeristic. So everything is rooted, I think, more around that. When you look at the press and the media and what they're talking about most. So they're talking about Papa John using the N word much more than they're talking about, you know, what's happening behind closed doors that helps set businesses up to be successful the way they are.
0: Mm. Well, back to another point you mentioned earlier, Latia, which is the notion of transparency. So Mm -hmm. there's the requirement of transparency on public issues, but in, in like a pharmaceutical company or a gun company, There's a whole lot of obscurity with regard to the way it works. And Mm -hmm. while I am certainly not a fan of our current president, there is this notion of unearthing what's happening and and, and forgetting his politics per se. It's this notion of of sort of taking off the shit and and seeing what's underneath the hood. And and maybe that's also going to contribute to helping make companies have to get off the pot
1: yeah no I think it, I think it it's true because one of the things that we think about especially in the, the companies that we've advised is aligning from top to bottom so a lot of times um, you know I had a client who a, a corporate client who was very well positioned to talk about an issue um, that was pretty popular at the time um, from the standpoint of them actually being 100% buttoned up on that issue, um, which was really rare because not only did they have an opinion and a stance, they actually internally, when you audit their books, you could see every man and woman is paid equally. The sort of equity belief that they have in terms of how they treat their employees was backed up top to bottom. And I think, as we work with them, that was one of the things that we wanted to push as a clarion call to other organizations to not just talk the talk, but you got to kind of do the homework inside as well, because people will demand that of you. And I will say, I mean, in our office, we have a ton of millennials and there have been companies that we've talked about working with from the stance point of view. Mm-hmm. And then they'll show me like 50 articles that show like, here's what they really do in China. Here's what they really like. Mm-hmm. Millennials are on this, and so mm. it has become more important that whatever is happening behind closed doors is above board, because that transparency will bring it to light.
0: When we talk about the ability for the employees to to come on board, essentially, you come up with a policy, you come up with an idea, provocative. We want to stand for this. The issue at some level is you you didn't necessarily hire these people initially on that idea. So you've got a legacy group of people you're hiring. How do you, I mean, so for most companies, that's the reality. How do you go about, Latia, with your clients bringing this up? How do you, let's say, you know, well, we've done very well. We're doing fine, but, you know, things could be better. We wish our content was more red, um, but we're plotting along. And we've never been political. Yeah, give us give us an idea of how you can open that up, and, and and what what needs to happen. What are like the without which sine qua non it doesn't work.
1: Yeah, so I can think of a recent client of mine who um, is a big tech is a big tech company who had not been political really at all. Um, but I I really really am strongly against this idea of okay, time to get political. What are we going to do? Let's take an issue and then let's just write a statement and like, off we go. I'm wholeheartedly against that. I Mm -hmm. think you have to look from within. And so what we did with them is we looked at things they were already doing just Mm -hmm. in their business, Mm -hmm. in their day-to-day business and analyze it through this lens. And we could see, oh, here's where you're making a real social impact. So, you're not, again, taking a stance and then trying to build a company uh, to support it. Your company already is doing this, it's a matter of unearthing it from the inside. Mm-hmm. So that it is authentic. And and in that respect, then employees are not surprised. It's not like you're stringing it on them. There is something about that company that they like that drew them to the culture. Mm -hmm. It's just being articulated now in a new way that they will relate to because it's not like some brand new thing. It's actually coming from them.
0: Mm, Get that. So then how do you qualify the success of something like this? Let's say you know in the past we we are we have we said well equality between women and men is important to us we've said that in the past well we you unearth that it seems like it's obvious we actually do hire fifty fifty how do you then monetize the efforts that go into it whatever the stance because ha- you know inevitably they have to go back to the shareholder and say listen we're now doing this we're talking about that uh-huh. they're going to get pushback. Wow, you know, that's really risky. I mean, of course, let's say equality or diversity isn't risky. <laughs> Gosh, surely, hopefully not. But, you know, yeah. whatever that political stance is, you've got to find a way to value it. And, you know, at some level, ultimately shareholder value.
1: Yeah. So I think actually the the distinction you just made is important. Not all issues are made equal. And there are some issues that are going to be a ton more palatable for your board or your shareholders than others. And that's just proven. There are just some issues that rise to the top in that way. Um, And so with that example, with pay equity, that's not something that anybody who wants to be considered a respectable person would come out against per se, um, but I do think in terms of valuing it, it comes from what I was talking about earlier in terms of differentiation and specifically for organizations who want to target millennials. Now, if your organization doesn't want to target millennials, the issue that you're most aligned with isn't something that's really in the current events. It may not be necessary for you to develop a campaign. It may just be, uh, you know, a, a piece on your website that talks about your values as a company. There's a whole spectrum of of activity that's proactive Mm -hmm. and some of it is a lot more in your face than others but for those who have issues that are relevant have audiences that they want to talk to in terms of their business that also align with those issues i think it's a pretty smart sell to your shareholders and your leadership and your board i heard this a lot at south by southwest when i spoke that It's leadership that needs to be convinced. And I think from that standpoint, it's a marketing play. It's really, truly a marketing play. I mean, one of the most interesting things I heard this year was Patagonia doing this ad about kids who were wearing their dad's Patagonia jackets.
0: Which had been refurbished and... Which,
1: right, it's like been passed down through the family. So from a business perspective, that's not good. We want you to buy more jackets, Mm. not pass the same one down forever. But Patagonia has been very clear that that actually jump-started their sales. So... I think if you look at examples like that, it's only when those things align, it actually can be a real positive on the business front. So
0: let's just look at, I want to think about a scale, maybe you already have one, but when I say diversity or equality, I'm almost thinking that's political correctness
2: Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. as
0: political correctness as sort of like, it's as banal as it gets, even though it's not happening. So mm-hmm. it's almost like, well, if you're not into that, you know, you need to fire the HR person. And so it, that's just sort of respect normal. But so being that is nothing. Then let's talk about, well, I think the Second Amendment should be revoked. Now, that's a little touchier topic. Mm-hmm. So do you? Ha- how do you sort of look at that? And, and, and do you have a, a way for us to measure the scale and the, you know, whoopsie-daisiness of these topics that we have to deal with?
1: Sure. So I think um, it's not just looking at the topic. Again, it's looking at the audience and it's looking at the environment. Mm -hmm. So the diversity piece that you said was like kind of a political correctness. If you're not into that, you're weird. That, when done in a certain way, could ratchet right up to the top of the spectrum and be something that's super divisive and super polarizing, depending on how it's executed. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think you have to think about audience and environment to be able to say on a scale of one to 10, how provocative and or risky is it for us Mm -hmm. to take a stance on this issue? And the, the other piece I would just say is your own company's Values. So there are just some companies that have the foundational ability to speak on certain issues based on the nature of what they do as a company that gives them credibility, that gives them what I like to call issue fluency. So they know it, they're in it, they're nursed in it. And so even if you disagree with them, they as a brand are still intact because they're doing something that's completely aligned with their belief system
0: yeah that's really that as a lovely clarification yeah, when you're looking at these types of issues one could think of charitable being charitable and, and mm-hmm. other forms of marketing that goes oh let's, sure. let's, let's help the homeless and you know let's spend money on that. And I, I spoke to a senior executive who was very keen to tell me that he he en- encourages any charity, and I couldn't think, help but think that that's a waste. Yeah. Why you know chasing too many rabbit holes? We're charitable to everybody. You you can't be that. So when you when you look at a specific issue, let's say you're rooted, it's in your values, then the the challenge that you were just mentioning before, which is this notion of passing it through the shareholder lens mm-hmm. and, and finding so that you can find a differential, but is there still not going to be the risk of the shareholder revolt and saying, you know, we can't do that. with The risk factor is too big. Yeah. And yeah. How, how do you overcome that risk factor, which is so tetanizing, so, you know, it makes everybody close down, clamp down and, and get very conservative.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, this is so specific to an individual company. The example that comes to mind for me, um, in addition, again, to audience and environment and your own values, is I have found, so before working at Raleigh, I actually worked on corporate partnerships at the US Fund for UNICEF Mm -hmm. and matched corporate partners with initiatives around the world. And one of the things that we saw as an insight about what makes those companies tick and actually take these big risks on sort of very innovative ideas in Africa and India and South America is that they wanted to, like, be at the forefront of something. They wanted to be viewed as an innovator leading on a particular issue. And so one company that comes to mind, like, they were basically offered an opportunity to end polio in India with their donation. So rather than them, you know, so and again, UNICEF could be something that's seen as exactly what you're saying like homelessness, super politically correct kids, vaccinations like who doesn't want to help kids under five in developing countries? Great. But when you frame it like, here's the impact that you as a corporate actor can have. And then you'll be able to talk about you're using your power for good. I think that's a very motivating factor, particularly coming from, like I said, the communication side of things. That's the kind of thing I want to talk about to the press when they're asking me about what my company is doing.
0: So I wanted to just circle back on it, which is how to make it successful. So when you are going in to see a client, are they calling you in or let's say what are the – Factors for success for making it happen. I mean, I'm thinking about their openness to your topic, or are they the ones leading the fray? You know, like the CEO has to be, you know, full on. What are the elements that, if you see not happening, you say, uh uh, I'm out of here? Yeah,
1: okay. So, there are a lot of elements, but the ones that, if not happening, I'm out of here. And and again, I can think of a couple of recent examples where we were approached by people that we decided not to work with Mm -hmm. for this very reason. So the first thing is consider your motives. Why are you interested in doing this? Mm. And it's not wrong to be thinking about it because it's something that companies and leadership are talking about everywhere. But if your motive is like, oh, here's our opportunity to shine or get out ahead of our competitor, Mm. et cetera, and that's your only like reason for doing it, nine times out of 10, it's going to show through and it won't work Mm -hmm. because you don't probably want to invest in what it really takes to do and back up and prove the belief that you're Mm -hmm. positing to the public. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is considering your motives. I think the second is Taking an inventory, like I said earlier, what are your values and what are you naturally doing and involved in Mm -hmm. that makes sense for you to get out front on? Mm. Um, And most companies that I've worked with had that already. It was just a matter of pulling it out. And then the third thing I would say is not to wait. There's no head in the sand. You must be proactive. And as I said earlier, there's a spectrum of proactivity Mm. that. I think even on an internal level, you know, that tech company that I mentioned, like we trained at all of their senior leadership on this topic internally before they were ever asked anything mm-hmm. about it. So it wasn't in response to being attacked it wasn't in response to anything they were ready they were an army of evangelists about the good work their firm was doing before they had been asked one question so i think like i said there are different levels but considering your motives aligning with your values and then being proactive are the three things that are the most important to set you up for success
0: it's so like do it before you say it yes When you are at We Are Rally, um, or Rally, I don't know how you call yourselves.
1: Just Rally. Rally. I think our website is We Are Rally, because rally.com was taken.
0: (laughs) Rally round the flag. Um, (laughs) What are, because therefore, at some level, there are many political issues. So Rally has to probably also make its selection and be strategic Mm -hmm. on what you focus on. What are the ones that turn you guys on?
1: Yeah. So our biggest issue focuses, and again, it's not limited because I think we're excited about the ability to make change using our toolkit, which is communications. But what comes to the top for us would be education, um, environment, and environmental justice specifically, um, healthcare, women's rights. So we've done a lot of work with Time's Up recently, but also reproductive rights. Um, with NARAL and Planned Parenthood, um, those are the top four, I would say. And I think across the board, whether it's those issues or others, typically there's some through line around equity that is important to us as a value for mm-hmm. our firm. Mm-hmm.
0: I love it. Well, you guys, oh, I, Latia, I, I really I love your energy and I I, I love what you're trying to do. And uh, and that sort of integrity and the authenticity kind of just comes through as far as I'm concerned. Hopefully the people who are listening. If you have um if someone wanted to try to get in touch with you, work with you, know more about you, what's the best way to reach you? To
1: sure. So our website is w we are rally. W e A R E R A L L Y dot com. And you can reach me at L Curry at we are rally dot com. Beautiful.
0: And uh, I, it's um, been a pleasure to have you on board, Latia. And I hope to have uh, f- fairly more conversations, at least to stay in touch, because this is an important Absolutely. topic. Have a lovely day, Latia. You too. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minto Dialogue show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on mintodial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please like the handy Facebook button or better yet, head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. But first, relax to Joss Sax's Paint.
2: Oh, fill me With all your colors Any different way To rid me of the gray Trips in the hallways make our house, yes.